0: Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that none of us are here by accident. We are all here, regardless of the decisions that we made to be here today, we are all here by divine appointment. And if we really believe that and recognize that, then we're gonna be all the more receptive to doing business with you And listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit. We can do nothing, speaker or hearer, but we thank you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So may you find your servant faithful and of the situation in our hearts that are fully known to you, that Jesus Christ may be all in each of us to the praise, to the praise. Of His glory, in his, name, in his name, Amen. It's an honor to be here it's an honor to, be here, to uh, Chris. give Chris, Pastor Chris, a little break after he's already um, through and paid good money for that. This is the time of the year. I remember years and years ago kayaking. Uh, Margie was invited to speak at the Morals House. Uh, this was before we moved here. So this mom's going to be speaking at this women's gathering why don't you join Daniel and I for a kayak out in the Columbia River? It'll be perfect. This is October. And I said, Michael, are you serious? It's going to be dark. He said, no. He said, we've got great weather. Uh, It's it's extended uh, twilight. He said, it'll be great. And you know what? He was right. We got out there on a kayak. It was as calm as could be. And we got there. uh, We were out there. When we were out there, it did come to twilight. So you went from looking at the sky... So, uh, but the bridge, the megla Bridge, silhouetted again to the orange glow that comes with a beautiful clear night twilight. And then at the same time, it was dark enough that the lights of the city were coming on, and the moon was rising up over the hills. Just couldn't have been more perfect. And we were in our kayaks, and I turned to Daniel, who was in a kayak next to me, and I said, boy, there are, there are worse places you could live then out here in Astoria. And he gave me a big, smiling response. He said, yeah, Dad, we really love living in Astoria for 90 days of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he must have meant it, because he and Jess have now moved down to Loma Linda, where he's part of the systems information security team for a hospital university, and about 16,000 employees. I thought CMH was big, but whoa, we went down to visit him. It was awesome. And he's even admitted to kind of dealing pop a gift, do we? <laughs> well, I have a plaque in my, our, our, our office, our, our multi-purpose room downstairs uh, that's competing for space with two big pictures that were created uh, by my grandkids in tribute to Papa. They're teenagers now, but when they thought I was cool, they, they made these pictures, and I have a special place for them up there. But f- Finding Space on the Wall is a plaque that is at the Bible College, and then when ...conference center. And in that context, when they had these weekly family conferences, uh, they would have a, a recreation activity on one after... contest in which... Give you a chance to show how many push-ups you could do, how many sit-ups you can do. What are you smiling about? (laughs) Like Anchor Christian School did a little while back. And then one of them was jogging to the rock or running to the rock, depending on your condition. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, how many of you you recognize that name? Okay. He used to be a regular speaker in the summers there. He would say, it's a mile down to the rock and it's a mile and a half back. (laughs) Well, one of the things we did is you had a chance to go ahead and run down there. It wasn't a neck-and-neck race. It was to see how well you could do your time, and they would track you. Well, on this one particular day, even though I was part of the staff, I thought I'd like to get into this too. So I went down to the rock, came back, and, and then got my award at, uh, at dinner time because they passed out awards and little certificates. And mine tells what my time is, which I'm not going to tell you because if you're any kind of a high school athlete, it would be totally unimpressive. But it was a big deal for me. And it's framed. It's up there on the wall. has a picture of the rock. has a picture of my tennis Or a tennis shoe. And it's called Haystack Run. Special place. That ship has sailed. <laughs> I can walk to the rock and back. But there's no more jogging in my life. And that's what we're going to talk about. I walk up over the hill and back. Sometimes I'll walk on Marine Drive toward the circle and maybe go up to the viewpoint on Alameda, sometimes on the River Walk. One of the nice things about the walk is you've got conversations with local people that are consistently friendly. I've even had a chance to encounter a couple of atheists along the way, and that's always been interesting and an opportunity to represent Jesus. But the walking is what I do to fight the battle of the bulge at my age. I'm becoming an increasingly well-rounded citizen. So this hopefully restrains it from getting totally amok. But I've been glad when somebody says, oh, I saw you walking today. And sometimes I'll stop and I have to stretch my muscles and stuff. And I guess I do it in a certain way that I've alarmed some people. (laughs) I've even had strangers come back and cheerfully say, are you all right? (laughs) And I just try to explain to them, got some kinks that I just have to work out every now and then because somebody said, you know, it's much more serious than what we're talking about anecdotally here. And it's what the Scriptures refer to as our walk or how we live. It's interesting to note that uh, the term or the expression translated walk in Scripture is found in both the Old and New Testaments repeatedly. In the Old Testament, we are reminded in the, in the Scriptures that in Psalm 1, at the very beginning of that wonderful book, blessed is the man who doesn't walk or live in the counsel of the ungodly nor." Stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scorners. So that's telling us how not to walk, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be a fruitful like a tree planted by rivers of water. So that's talking about walk there. Then we have uh, the reality of where it is really, really emphasized, and that's in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a beautiful book to teach out of because it's, It's got a nice, tidy structure. The first three chapters have to do particularly with our position in Christ. And the last three chapters have to do with how we flesh out that position in the practice of the believer's life. So there's the position of the believer's life in the first three, and then the practice of the believer's life in chapters four through six. And it's particularly there where the term walk uh, is used. Chapter 4 starts with, walk worthy of the vocation with which you are called. Also goes on to say, don't walk as, uh, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That's how not to walk. And then in chapter 5, it really camps down on this to say, walking first of all in love, walking as children of the light, and then walking in terms of the passage we're going to be focusing on today. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And Marcus has been so good to work with me. He and I don't do it very often. I'm sure he and Chris have got a beautiful system along with Stephen working it out. But I'm kind of the, hey, just passages, tell me the translation. He says, the only translations we don't have are the Book of Mormon or the New World Translation. I thought I think I can work around that. <laughs> So from that passage, I invite you to read with me. I'm going to be using uh, New King James Version. You know, I'm an older guy, so the way I am familiar with passages are more akin to the way it's structured in New King. But we've got great translations. Chris uses NLT, and I understand that. I enjoy NIV. Sometimes I'll use NASB. I actually have my NASB up here because it's my more portable Bible than the heavier study Bible that's NIV or King James Version. But We've got a lot of wonderful resources. There's no excuse for any of us saying, you know, I just, I just can't understand Scripture because it's so old in, in its language. If you're a newer believer and you, you relate more readily to contemporary versions, great. Uh, I just use this one right now in the quotes because it's easier for me to use that language. But New King James leaves out a lot of the these and thou's, so hopefully it's a, it's a happy compromise where we can all meet together. But the passage is is, uh, very relevant in terms of what it says to us. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to read it again in NIV because it does some Uh, Very good translation, but we're going to be going back to using the term walk because it fits thematically what we're talking about and in terms of the outline I'm going to be giving you. But just to give you a, a fresher perspective if you need it, NIV says, be very careful then how you live because that's what walk means in this context. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. I like redeeming the time because it's so picturesque, but... It means making the most of every opportunity, which is very aptly put. Again, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that's aptly translated because the two words that are used in terms of uh, of, of wisdom uh, or lack of wisdom are two different words. The first one is, don't lack wisdom, the sermon that you need, but the second one is, don't be foolish as it's translated to NIV because it means without good sense. Or somebody said, if you want to literally translate it, don't act stupidly. (laughs) And sometimes we need that kind of a punch, you know, between the eyes to say, hey, wake up and, and stop acting like you're... As I've sometimes dealt with situations where Christians have just gone way off the rails, I see they're dealing with a temporary sense of spiritual insanity. They've totally lost their minds. They're not even thinking straight. It's not a question of just wisdom. It's just, you've just gone bonkers spiritually about your perspective about the reality of the situation. I may not say it that way to them, but as I'm analyzing the situation, I'm saying there's some serious uh, stuff that we all the time realize we have, haven't we? To one degree or another. So thank God that we have a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and good to all of us. I am forever grateful for that, my life. So let's look at it in terms of the outline. Because at the beginning of the chapter, it says, uh, or not, uh, not necessarily at the beginning, but yeah, at the beginning, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And as somebody has often said, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. <laughs> and so we, we see this unfolding of the walk in love, walking as children of light, and now it's walking carefully or circumspectly in wisdom, not foolishly. And that's what we want to focus on when we say, let's talk about our walk. First part, if, you, if you're an outline taker, is I'm going, to, I'm going to flip the verses around a little bit just for the way I want to structure our talk about our walk. It's still there, but we're going we're gonna to package it in a little bit of a different sequence. So that we look at the last part where it says, therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's where I want us to start with our outline in terms of, Walk with regarding the dangers. Now, it, does, it ties verse 15 in here with it, but we're, we're kind of putting the focus on uh, avoiding the, uh, the dangers that are there. I think it's very relevant for us to start there, first of all, because this is going to be the more negative time of the teaching. What an example that we hopefully recognize that historically, even though everybody wasn't a Christian in this country, we view. We always had people who didn't. Really believe that, but but there was sort of a uh, national assent to that fact, and we fleshed out of that over a period of time things like "In God We Trust" on our coins, and then in the salute to the flag in the 20th century. Granted, "One Nation Under God." I have an atheist cousin. I think I shared this in a previous time that we were talking together, who. Uh, I couldn't resist — I'm a stamp collector, and I sent this stamp to him. that's a picture of the Apollo, uh, land, uh, the Apollo orbiting when they went around. And as they came out from behind the moon, they looked against the blackness of space and saw this beautiful, beautiful orb of the Earth, with all of its color suspended there in the blackness of space. And at the bottom of this postage stamp, what does it say? It's quoting from one of the astronauts in the orbiting satellite said, in the beginning, God. And I told my cousin, I said, Frank, it's official. The government recognizes the existence of God. (laughs) I wish I could say he got down on his knees with, you know, you take whatever opportunity you can and trust the Lord to, as you become the sower, we talked about that in previous occasions, let God be the one who waters and through other people brings the increase. So walk with diligence that the Judeo-Christian worldview, if you haven't already noticed, is no longer generally embraced. Because they were coming out of a pagan... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, will of God. That More and more in our school system. You can't even count on your education system to embrace anything uh, like it used to be in terms of a mutual understanding about our Judeo-Christian worldview. In fact, just recently, bill, House Bill 2002, in which they call it gender-affirming care, which is really gender-altering procedures. I don't want to go into in detail. Uh, they can be implemented a notification of the parents, but the parents' insurance company would have to pay for it. That's why we had people like our own legislator walk out, because they said, this is nuts. We, we, we can't in any way, shape, or form, allow this to happen. Well, it helped to the sense that they wound up coming to a compromise where children under 15, their parents could be notified. As I read it, it doesn't mean you have to have their permission, but at least they will be notified. You're still going to have to pay for it on your insurance company. In other words, you parents don't have the right uh, to decide what's best for your minor children. The professionals will do that for you. And we might consider giving you your permission. Getting your, I mean, giving you a notification, but we don't need your permission. Are you aware of what's going on out there? This is, this is horrific. And we need to be praying for the people who are in power because the Bible tells us we have spiritual wickedness and high kind of thinking. When I see language in the paper that consistently says, gender-affirming care, I'm saying, seriously? mine next month, but you've already done things to their body And we can, as Christians, be intimidated into thinking, well, this is an appropriate way to show respect for the feelings, the subjective feelings of our minor children. To the way Jesus reaffirmed what was done in Genesis. In the beginning, he created them male and female. And so, you and I were not It wasn't some arbitrary when when you popped out into this world. So we have to be very discerning about the world trying to Squeeze this into its mold in terms of the agenda and the way language is packaged. Boy, they're good at it. Don't be deceived by the world's agenda. And then the other part of it is if you love somebody, then you accept their lifestyle. I'm thinking, really? Has anybody bothered to think that through? Well, I'd like to think we have. Can you love your kids and not accept what they're doing in terms of bad behavior? Absolutely. Love is not synonymous with acceptance or vice versa. Two different things. Sometimes love must be tough. Love, love must be guiding. Tolerance has a new definition. It used to be we put up with things that we clearly knew were wrong. If somebody came up to you and said, did you know the earth is flat? You could say, well, you're entitled to your opinion. You would tolerate that. It shows that the earth is at. You don't have to, uh, you know, threaten to burn down their house. But tolerance there does not mean it's of equal value. But now today, tolerance is supposed to be all views have equal value. No, they don't. There are right and there are wrong views. And we need to hold on to that reality because there are absolutes. Remember when I shared with you about my MIT graduate coffee friend, I said, you know, the trouble with life today is that people don't believe in absolutes anymore. And he said, well, there are no absolutes. I said, didn't you just make an absolute statement? If we invited people to think through where they are, you could, and you can do it in a gracious way to get them to think... Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I should think think about this a little differently. But we should not be allowing the world to squeeze us into its mold. We should be the people who would be helping others by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to think rightly about reality, and ultimately, and most importantly, about the fact that God not only exists, but we need to be accountable to Him. The other one is the danger from Satan himself. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. going to go a little bit off topic here for a minute. Anybody hear about the cougar that made it to Haystack Rock? <laughs> We've got a picture of that in the historian. If you don't get the historian, you missed out on a great color picture to prove that some cats don't mind getting wet. <laughs> that to my sister, and she showed it to her hairdresser, and she said, my hairdresser loves it. Can you send it to her phone? My, my sister is even less technologically developed than I am. She's older, you know, but I, I, I'm, I'm sad, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a mean way. I have a great sister. She could have passed it on to her phone, but she said, here's her phone number. My sister, Dorothy, she wanted to have it. But the devil is walking around, not like a cougar looking for a haystack rock. He's like a roaring lion looking to steal you from Jesus. Now, once you belong to Jesus, he can't do that, is the perspective I hold, but he can sure mess with you. He is a person we need to understand in terms of his basic tactic. And, and there's a lot of ways we can look at the strategies of the devil that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, his devices or his schemes. Paul will, should not be ignorant of his schemes, but sometimes I suspect that we either are or maybe we mentally are aware of them, but we conveniently forget at those crucial times. He's got a great a great one-two punch that has worked ever since. Jesus calls, that couldn't be clearer in a declaration than by the greatest authority of all, our Savior himself. In Revelation 9-11, it, it describes him or some key henchman of his as Apollyon, destroyer or destruction. So, deceit and destruction. And you think about it. Isn't that really how he has been working so successfully since the beginning? should not eat of this tree, raising questions of doubt. You'll not die. You're going to be like him, lying already. Deceit that led to what? The destruction of their perfect relationship. That didn't mean that they were beyond hope. That's also when God brought in the story of redemption. But as somebody said, the real problem there was not the apple in the tree. It was the pear on the ground. (laughs) Where's Chris Bergerson? (laughs) Seriously, though, the deceit, you think about it, how it's fleshed out. Uh, If if a person is under a lot of stress, they can be deceived into thinking, you know, if I'll just take some of these heavy drugs... uh, it'll it'll allow me to have relief from uh, the real pain I'm experiencing. And it's not to demit- minimize the pain, but the drugs are not the answer. The drugs are part of the lie that it's going to solve your problem or their problem. And then eventually, it's going to lead to destruction of health, relationships, job possibilities, just a lot of the homelessness. I'm not saying all of it. A lot of the homelessness is drug-related. Because the devil has sold the lie that has led to the destruction of their lives to one degree or another. It can be in the terms of somebody saying, well, you know, my spouse isn't meeting my needs. I think I should have an affair with somebody else's spouse because they, they understand me. We laugh together when we're over coffee at the place where we work, and I'll just go ahead and have an affair. Maybe I can keep it a secret for a while, but then it'll meet my needs that are not being met by my spouse. Lies. Happens all the time. And it happens sometimes with Leadership In Christians, you've read stories about people who've caved on that story, and it breaks your heart, and then Satan is going, yes, another deceit that led to the destruction of ministry credibility. We have the destruction of a, of, a, of a marriage and home. Ashes, we don't leave that part out, but it's so much better to avoid the whole thing in the first place. I have one pastor, well, he's gone to heaven now, but he pastored, he said, my wife and I prayed a good prayer. And Randy Alcorn had, I think it was George Verwer, Operation Mobilization. He, at one time he said to Randy in, uh, in some kind of a personal conversation, but Randy, Randy ran with it because he thought, he, ra- he ran with it. And all the time we need that advice, not to park our, our moral spiritual sanity and do something stupid, because Satan is a, a liar, a deceiver whose agenda is to lead to some form of destruction in our lives. Doesn't mean he's going to kill us right there, but destruction in some way or another that is to be avoided, and we have the capacity through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin. Can't ever say, oh, the devil made me do it. Sorry, that won't sell. And then the, the last one was in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 7. So we've got the world, the devil, and the last part is in uh, 1 John 2 don't love the world neither the things that are in the world now we're starting with the world but it says for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of the life pride of life are not of the fa- not of the father but of the world and the world's passing away and the lusts thereof but he who does the will of God will abide forever so there's the the flesh at the end of the scale devil in the middle and uh, the world at the beginning there's no there's no necessary sequence here, but we have this triple threat, world, flesh, and the devil, as it's been described. We need to be aware of it because, because Paul reminds us we are not ignorant of his devices. That's why we are called upon in this. Outline. Margie and I were looking over uh, uh, the uh, property. Or actually, she was watering the plants for one of our dear sisters who went off with another dear sister for an Alaska cruise. And I said to them when they were in church before they left, I said, how do we pray? I'm sure you'll fight away. <laughs> we'll have a good report, but in the meantime plants needed to be watered, and on the other side of her backyard fence there's a terrace that couldn't be more than a main, and of course we were free to go over there and harvest them, but at the edge of that terrace it drops off the slope and goes down into the parking lot of the JW operation well, I had two reasons why I didn't want to fall off the edge (laughs) so I was walking very carefully as Margie, I'm sure, was, and we were picking the berries and enjoying the you know, the, the fruitful heart ah, over the side, we're walking carefully. And figuratively in our lives, that's meant to illustrate how we need to be careful in regard to the dangers that we're dealing with here. And when it refers in these other cross reference scriptures to doing the will of God or discerning the will of God, you know, there are times when we can sincerely say, I'm really, I'm really struggling with understanding what the will of God is in this situation. And, and I respect that because there are times when you're in a job situation that may, for several reasons, make you feel like this is a toxic environment. And I know because I can see that it's really wearing me down as a person. I come home and I'm not the kind of person I want to be to my family. Um, and so you're thinking, maybe I should do a job switch. Th- this isn't a primarily moral issue. This is primarily a wisdom issue. Or you may decide, you know, it's time for us to move. Our family's getting messy to want to kill each other every night. So maybe we should enlarge our borders. This is not a moral issue. Well, it could become a moral issue if you're ready to kill somebody. (laughs) But it's probably better to say it's a wisdom issue. So you understand what I'm saying. Some of these are not obvious, thus says the Lord, you know, you shall buy this house. Chris gave us a great illustration of how God worked to provide that house. But it was a wisdom issue. So when we're talking about those, those do need prayerful consideration. Maybe we'll seek some counsel from somebody who's been through similar experiences. Uh, that's all, that's all pro- proper and wise. But on some things, the Bible's very clear what the Word of God is. For that, we go to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which is relevant to what we've already been talking about. And it says what? This is the will of God in Christ concerning you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I realize that's not much of a problem these days. That's readily available on any phone or electronic device that we have today. People used to have to sneak off to peep shows and stuff. Not anymore. It's readily available. It's huge business, and it has impacted the Christian community. It says very clearly this is the will of God. Stay away from that. You don't have to pray about it. It's clear. Yep. Give thanks. God. Uh, and that, that attitude of gratitude can make such a difference in the health of my soul and the health of my presence in the people around me. Uh, I, I may be repeating myself, but some people are so far removed from gratitude that, and, and so negative that if somebody said, you know, if so-and-so ever made it to heaven, they'd complain about the altitude. We don't want to be that kind of people. And God doesn't want us to be that kind of people. And it's very clear in Scripture that we're to be thankful people. How would I summarize those two Those two aspects of God's clear will for us. In our personal walk, he wants us to be morally pure and mentally positive. I I like to kind of package things in a way that has memory hooks because my brain at this stage in life needs all the help it can get. (laughs) Morally pure and mentally positive. Now, there's more to the will of God than that. Those are two critical areas that are clearly spelled out in Scripture. But that gives us some handles on we don't have to be groping around in all aspects about what the will of God is for my life. On these very sound, critical issues in our lives, they're clearly spelled out. So walk with diligence or carefully regarding the dangers around us. The second part is the positive part, and that's walk with discernment regarding the opportunities. And that's going to be anchored around redeeming the time or making the most of the opportunities. This is, if I can be so liberal as to say, this is the fun part of our teaching session because this is the proactive uh, don't miss the opportunity part in the song that Beth and I hear, that I don't want to miss an opportunity to bring praise to you. Right on. Right on. So how do we do that? And how do we, how do we go about making the most of the opportunities? I've used this before, but it applies here. We do that, how do we best redeem the time uh, or make the most of the opportunities? We do that by exalting God through edifying believers and evangelizing unbelievers. We do that by exalting God through edifying believers and evangelizing unbelievers. That would be the, the, the mission statement, if you will but let's break it down into more specific ways that we can get handles on it. I, I think we can do that in two ways. First of all, through opportunities that are brought to us. We didn't go looking for them, but they were brought to us. You see that in the Old Testament with God visiting, and making all kinds of excuses, but it was an opportunity that was brought to Moses. He was more inclined to say, Here am I, Lord, send Aaron. Because he can think of all the kinds of reasons why he wasn't qualified. At that point in his life, he was slow of speech. Earlier in Acts, it says he was mighty in word and deed. And you think, well, how do you reconcile these two? Here's the way I reconcile it. In Pharaoh's palace, when he was a young buck in his uh, earlier years, prior to age 40, it's very easy to believe that he was mighty in word and deed. But as he got to the age now where he's 80, he's slow of speech. Uh, I'm beginning to reckon to say there's a contradiction. Hugely different time spans in Moses' life, and I think in the process, you'll see that even though Aaron starts out being his spokesman, after a while he's no longer needed as a spokesman. When we get into doing the will of God, he takes care of whatever any, any deficiencies that we think would disqualify him from doing the work. I think even Chris, in a sense, you admitted it at the very beginning. You felt like I'm not qualified to do this job. And you you really sweated over it, but over a period of time, you begin to realize, God is enabling me to do this, and it began to start to flow more readily. Any of us who do whatever challenge is given to us, great or small, that's brought to us, God will enable us. At this point, very commendable ways, you're you're up to your ears or or neck, uh, you know, involvement in church ministry here, maybe in some things outside. So I... I don't need to encourage you to do more than you're doing unless God speaks to you and says, you know, there's a little area here where we can kind of maybe expand your borders. But a lot of us may be feeling like I'm still trying to find out where with the cares of this world. Those are things that God has to sort out in each of our lives. I'm not your judge, but we're going to be in different places in this particular part. I hope you are encouraged or inspired as we walk through this section to say, Lord, what would you have me to do in response to this as well as in part one? Opportunities brought to us. Moses great example in the Old Testament. Now, I haven't had any... Bur- the only burning ex- bush experience I've had is one day when I walked out of our house in Dallas, Oregon, and we had these two arbutus on both sides of our picture window, and one of them was burning. <laughs> but I didn't hear God's voice, but I, I felt really strongly led to go get a hose. <laughs> I found out later as I looked up, oh, there's some remnants of a skyrocket that had not... Some of it had fallen down right off the edge into this and still had burning embers, and this is in the summertime, this is the 4th of July area, got a phone call a little bit later, guilty party, he said, I was firing off some skyrockets in the backyard to impress our daughters, and one of them got away. <laughs> That's my only burning bush experience. But God can find experiences in which he can get our attention to say, I've got an opportunity that I'm bringing to your attention for you to, for you to respond to. In the New Testament, that actually was true of Paul and Barnabas, Mark, Paul and Barnabas at the beginning of their ministry. What happens in Acts 13? The Holy Spirit says to the elders, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work for which I have ordained them. And so they they approach Paul and Barnabas to say, we've got a job that the Holy Spirit is, has provided for you, speaking through us, and we're going to lay hands on you and send you out. Paul and Barnabas, according to the record, did not look for that opportunity. It's not to say they weren't active Christians, but this was an assignment that was given to them and they accepted it and it began the whole stories of missionary journeys. In my life, how it can work in your life in principle. When I, was, uh, when I graduated from high school, my pastor at the time said, I'd like to have you teach a sixth grade boys class. And I thought, I'm not qualified to teach anybody Sunday school. I, I, knew, the, I knew all the answers in the, in the youth group quizzes. I could ace that. I went to a Christian school here am I. Send somebody else. So I declined the invitation from my pastor to do that. But I went off to Biola for my freshman year. And at that time, when you went off to Biola, whatever your major was, you had to have a Christian service assignment. And they said, you pick one, or we'll assign you one. Well, I just kind of kept kicking the cat down the road like you know, a semi-responsible freshman. And one day I got this note that says, you are going to be assigned to... A Christian service assignment in some church across the L.A. County that I didn't know anything about, and I felt, whoa, the lights went on. And I felt called to teach the class at my home church because I thought, I know these people. I don't want to be going someplace where I don't know anybody. I, want, I know these people, so I went back and I said, if that position's still open, I'll take it. It was one of the best things that could have happened to me at that time because I, f- I felt how God had wired me for ministry, I was close enough in age to be like a big brother to these squilly sixth-year-olds, sixth-graders, and, and I can't remember a single thing I taught them during that time, but I felt a sense of fulfillment that this is where God wants me to be, this kind of role of teaching the Word of God to other people, but for whatever reasons to say yes. Um, most recently, um, I was approached, and I think I may have already shared this, to be uh, essentially uh, an unofficial chaplain. and the chief master sergeant said to guys on on their team, do you have somebody who can locally function in a chaplaincy role because our chaplain is based at at the uh, air wing command in Portland. He's far away and he can't be here on a regular basis as we'd like. So uh, uh, another Christian friend and uh, it's on me. So I got an interview with them. They liked what they saw and I've been working there as a as a uh, spiritual advisor as my feet guys and gals, to do that. I didn't go looking for it, but these guys squealed on me, and thank you for doing that, Greg, and Stan, and, uh, and being able to have that role. I go there once a week, do the walk through the shops of the departments, and when the drills come, when you have the whole squad, then I'm authorized and even asked to conduct an early church service, and then even a Bible study on Saturday around noontime. Oh. No. That no, it doesn't always happen that tidily, but I'm just illustrating that when opportunities come, we should all ask ourselves, am I open to accepting that opportunity with whatever inadequacies I may feel? Am I allowing God to tell me this is where you need to be right now? Or if I just say, oh, no, here am I, Lord, send Aaron. Then I'll, I can miss out on the blessing for my own life as well as the way God wants to use me to bless the lives of others. Then there are the proactive to look for them. In the Old Testament, Joshua is one of my favorite ones. He's already an old-timer. He's in his 80s now, and he goes to, uh, excuse me, Caleb <laughs> goes to Joshua, and he says uh, in chapter 14 of Joshua, uh, you know, God spoke through Moses to say, wherever I set my foot down, that's going to be, he said, it's yours. Now, he had to fight for it, but he says, you want it? Go for it. Uh, a little bit like Eric says, oh, you want to buy that thing? Sure, just some money. <laughs> so, there's, uh, there's that, uh, that uh, symbiotic relationship where God authorized him. In his, so to speak, he's in his 80s. He lived to be uh, a bit older, but, uh, but God used him in a wonderful way. And through him, one of the seven cities of refuge was uh, provided, as well as an inheritance for his family. In the New Testament, Paul at Athens in Acts chapter 17. Beautiful illustration. He's restlessly waiting for the rest of his mission team. And all these other idols, it says, to the unknown God. And The light go on. He said, that's my foot in the door. And so, on the basis of that, he says, let me tell you about the unknown God. He, because some people say, and some people say, well, there, there's no indication there ever was a church that got established in Athens. I don't care. The fact is, he took an opportunity. He shared the gospel. It all need to be a t- gift wrap package at the time somebody does ministry, if you did what God prompted you and gave you the opportunity to do, the rest of the story is going to be told in eternity. Where to be And a lot of pastors take up woodworking as a hobby is because their ministry is always in the process of being compliant until so we stand in the Lord's presence. So they like to work on something they can say, okay, I'm starting this project, and next Christmas I'm going to have a piece of furniture and it's going to be done. <laughs> doesn't work that they get fleshed out in my life. Through my and I'm I'm repeating myself here. But, uh, not next week, next month, <laughs> almost next week. She will have been my dear, faithful companion and best friend for 55 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am a very, very fortunate man. Somebody said something about uh, you don't have gray hair yet, and I say God and my wife have taken good care of me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I already said, you know, the Bible says the glory of young men is their strength and the glory of old men is their gray hair. So where does that leave me? <laughs> I'll wait. I'll wait. But for me, one of, the, one of the classic illustrations that warms my heart is one I've shared with you, and that was through Margie. She said, you know, when we were pastoring in a village missions church in Bend, in, south of Bend in Oregon, she said, you know, we have this military prep school out there in the, in the trees about a mile from our house. She said, uh, military schools have chaplains. Why don't you see if there's a... Longer story short is the one in charge there said, you know, I think uh, I'll consult my faculty and we'll see if that's okay with them. Well, it turned out that God was already ahead of the game. I had been playing tennis with one of the faculty members. He was the math teacher. So when she got together with her faculty to say, there's this guy, here's a young pastor at this church down here. We need, need a, a semi-normal person if you play tennis, you know, and sometimes your shots don't go right. Where the other guy flames one past you, and how you handle it says something about whether you're a reasonably stable person or not. It's kind of like golf, I guess, isn't it? Enough uh, to be kind of like These guys were from all over the country, as far away as the East Coast, and they were ready to see an outsider come. And uh, they had to build relationships. They knew then that I was the pastor of the church down at the end of the road, so pretty soon on a Sunday, we had several good-looking, well-dressed, sharp guys filing into a pew, and our church was maybe about 70 in around. I don't remember him at my high school. So God began to work in their lives. They were receptive to spiritual truth. One of them, Rob Worley, accepted Christ. He was so ready when I sat down to talk with him. I mean, God's spirit was just, just there. He was ripe as a plum. Prayed to receive Christ, went back home, shared it with his girlfriend, and she said, I want what Rod has. And so we did that by mail, and she made decision. He went on to the Air Force Academy, along with some of these other guys before him, and then went on to be actually a general the United States Air Force, an opportunity that I sought through the, the good counsel of my wife, and the Lord opened the door. Doesn't have to be anything that dramatic, uh, but let me just get real close. To, I, I'm not being paid to approaches you about. The Lord is just prompting me to ask you, would you be willing to serve in a ministry capacity and being approached and feeling, yes, maybe inadequate, but God, is this something I should say yes to? Don't say, oh, I'm not qualified or I'm too busy, because at least you should be willing to pray about it. Right, Chris? <laughs> so I like, and we always need volunteers. I dream of the day when there'll be so many children's workers that none of you will have to take a whole month to do it can just rotate weeks. You know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the more people that volunteer, the easier it's going to be. Just a thought. I don't want to be a person who basically is saying, you know what, God, has a, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> In our conduct, regarding the dangers, walking with discernment, regarding the opportunities. And do we need wisdom for this? Sure. That's why we go to James chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God, who does what? I'll see if I've got room on my calendar to give you some. No, he gives generously to all they ask in faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has been one of my favorites since high school. Trust in the Lord with all your Check in with him. And what will he do? He will direct your paths. And in the end, when we do that, what are the results? One of my favorites for this, my go-to, and you've, I know you've heard me say it again. And I'll be happy to plead guilty. Be steadfast, movable. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's, ca- it's hard for God to steer a parked car. <laughs> so be moving as I as I walk, because. Physically, motion is lotion. <laughs> we need to be moving also, being proactive for Jesus so that he can direct our steps. But it's good for us to be moving. There are times to wait on the Lord, but there are times to be in motion, saying, Lord, how do you want to steer me? Paul is ready to go into Asia. The Spirit said, no, you're going to the West. So... If you feel a sense of conviction because you feel like the Lord is saying, you know, you've been compromising in the areas of diligence about the dangers, then repent of that. Let the Lord work in your heart in the way those changes need to be made before it comes from greater, It comes to greater trouble. If you feel a sense of, you know, I think God is speaking to me about a sin, but I'm not making myself available. Corinthians 5.15 reminds us, Christ died for all that those who died for them by us as we take communion in the clothes that Chris is going to lead us in. But in terms of the way God may be speaking to your heart after, I think after communion would be a good time then to, if it, if someone needs prayer, to go up after communion, okay, and, and say, Lord, I, I say to whoever you're approaching, I need somebody to pray. But I, I realize that he's speaking to me about. Uh, Uh, compromise or complacency or something else and I need to to, to allow him to change the story in my life. Because Jesus came that we may have life abundantly and none of us want to miss out on the blessing to enjoy that or the fruitfulness or in terms of the song to take the opportunities to bring praise to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of truth out there. Lord, we do live in evil days but we brighter in dark days and Lord may we be people who really have as our deepest desire to be the light of the world that Jesus called us to be and the salt that is a moral preservative in a decaying society. You know Lord how you want to use each one of us. It might be in some official way I'm not going to consent to compromise or complacency in my life. I want to be all that Jesus wants me to for the capacity to enhance being, the, being to the
1: praise of his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, please calm my nerves getting up in front of my brothers in communion so that you would um, just be my rock right now, Lord. Amen. It's very fitting to have, let's talk about our walk on that wall behind me. Um, I have a verse I wanted to share um, actually a couple of them before I talked um, Ephesians 5 11 says take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead he reached down from heaven and rescued me he drew me out of deep waters mm-hmm. so some of you know my story some of you don't um, I have. I grew up um, in a relatively broken home. I started doing drugs and drinking probably when I was about twelve years old. Um, and after I got saved, the Lord delivered me from the majority of it. But I never really gave up drinking. It was uh, something I struggled with, and it wasn't. It wasn't until about mm, eight years ago that I realized that I had a problem and that I couldn't stop. So I started seeking the Lord and um, going to brothers, exposing myself to everybody. Tried multiple times for the next, I don't know, two years to stop drinking. And with no luck, it, I would always just run back to the filth that I came from. Um, but through a lot of prayer and with a lot of help from a lot of brothers and sisters here, uh, yesterday was six years sober for me. A lot of her help, too. So, um, all that being said, I've never found it easy to speak in front of people like this. Public speaking is always one of my like, greatest fears. So when Chris asked me to do this, my heart's like beating out of my chest right now, so you guys know. Um, but when he asked me to lead communion, I actually asked him yesterday. But I just felt like we really need to remember what the Lord has done for us. He's, he's saved us from the pit of hell. We get to spend eternity praising. Heavenly Father, as we hold this bread, we remember your body broken for us. We remember that it should have been us nailed to a cross, beaten, scarred beyond measure, Lord, not even recognizable as a man for all of the things that we've done. Thank you so much that you've saved me. And I thank you that you were willing to give. We remember that it's, it's just a, re- a representation of the blood that you shed. Lord, Your Bible, Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And you shed all of yours so that we have to. We praise you. As we hold this cup, we just remember